Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. I grew up like most kids, worried I couldn't bench two plates, that I wouldn't fit in, that I wouldn't find love. Then I discovered partying, and suddenly all those worries went to the wayside. I didn't need love. I had keg stands. I discovered I was great at raging, and it revealed wonderful things about myself. I could relate to bros regardless of what kind of bro they were. I could be at a party and moon people and everyone would laugh, you know, be witty. Or I could play beer pong and compete with real integrity. In short, I fulfilled my potential. The Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. Hour number two. We got our first Mel Ott. Nominee on Twitter for the second place finish in the all-time Mel list. I don't know who Mel Ott is. Nick tells me he's a pitcher from the 1920s or something. He's not a pitcher. He's oh. he's Baseball a player. Yeah, he, all his pitchers. signature That's thing is he, he lifts he lifts his front leg when he's swinging. That's the Mel Ott leg kick. He right lifts there. his front leg like how yeah, high off the ground? Yeah, pretty high. Like it looks like uh, hmm. it looks like some guy named you know Dizzy would have done it on, in black and white film. You gotcha. know, that's how high he raises his leg. Uh, 59% say that Mel Gibson is the second best Mel, and 41% say it's Mel Kuyper. I took the liberty of just putting Mel Brooks number one, and that's where we sit with that. I've been drinking a lot of coffee lately. Are you a coffee drinker? Nope. I Not think it's all. gross. No. You think it's gross? I don't think it tastes oh, good, so- and I don't feel the need to build a caffeine dependency. Yeah, I feel like that. that's the worrisome thing for me. Like, I used to... Not drink it because I felt like I'd build up a tolerance, and then all I'd start doing is drinking it. Then I started thinking, ah, tolerance, tolerance, I'm gonna be fine. It'll give me a boost, and now I'm drinking three cups a day. Too many years of watching my dad wake up on the weekends, and because he would w- sleep in later than he would normally get up, he would already have a headache from no caffeine in the morning. Yeah, not a move. <sighs> well, I am. What is this? Cup number three? Cup number four today? It's gotta be three. Definitely three. Eight o'clock at night too. I mean, you got to show from 7 to 9. You got to drink coffee at least then, right? Never. Never? No. You'll I, I would rather You'll get there. I would rather You're going to be, co- be drinking five cups a day. You're a year now. older than me. Why are you talking to me like you're someone <laughs> in your mid-60s? And this old whippersnapper, young whippersnapper doesn't know what he's talking about. Never mind. Um, all right. I want to get into hockey a little bit here because the Red Wings did a thing today. And it was expected. Steve Eiserman's their new GM. We all saw that coming, right? He leaves the Lightning. I I heard about this like three years ago, two years ago. Greg Wyshynski, who does a podcast, used to do it with uh, with uh, Dave Lozo from Vice Sports. They did a podcast, and I remember like two years ago, Greg Wyshynski was talking about how Iserman's contract expires in 2019, and he's going to want to go back to Detroit to fix the team that he played for. And... It totally happened. You knew it was happening for sure when he left Tampa 
at the beginning of this season. He had no reason to do it. Other than he lived, his family lives in Detroit, obviously, and that he would have wanted the Red Wings job. Otherwise, you were leaving the team that you built up to be the best team on paper that we've seen in a long time. Notice I have to keep saying on paper now because they had to go and get swept by the Blue Jackets. But in terms of just roster building, he did as good a job as he could have done. Three 90-point players on your first line, one of which scored 128, a star young goalie, a Norris-winning defenseman, Another defenseman who's only 20 who could end up being a Norris-level defenseman. Sergachev's still got work to do, but he's a super good young player. Six other good scorers at forward. A couple other good defensemen. Like, he did as good a job as he could have done. And he was helped by the fact, of course, that Florida has no state income tax, so you could get players to take lesser salaries, but he still did a great job. Drafting, everything. And... He leaves Tampa early in the season. You kind of knew, I think, in the back of your head, if you had thought about it at all, that he's going to end up in Detroit, and he does. Ken Holland gets bumped up to senior president. Eiserman's going to run the roster. He's going to be the one pulling all the strings. And now you've got the mastermind of the Tampa Bay Lightning who's going to be pulling the strings in Detroit. And here we go into next season, and the Sabres are sitting here without a coach, without any reports on who the coach is going to be. The longer it goes, I keep thinking it's going to be Chris Taylor. But anyways, everyone around you is just doing stuff. I got the Bruins and Leafs playing here in the playoffs. Both teams look great. If they weren't playing each other, I would say they're the two best teams in the conference. And I got Florida hiring Joel Quenville, the most respected coach on the market. And they've got good young talent. Now I've got Detroit, who was like the one team I could have banked on, like, hey, I I should be better than them going forward. They don't have a lot of good young talent. They've got veterans that are paid a lot and are at the twilight of their careers. Nicholas Cronwell comes to mind. Justin Adlocator comes to mind. Their goalie, Jimmy Howard. They've got Dylan Larkin, who's nice and young, but that's like about it in terms of like elite young talent. And there they go. They just get the best GM that the NHL has seen in the last 10 years. He's going to fix them, maybe now. So now all I've got to hang my hat on is that I'm not, I'm should be better than Ottawa. They've got nothing going for them. They've got an owner who doesn't seem to have want anything to do with being good right now and wants his reference moving the team. They've got a GM that doesn't know what he's doing. They don't have a coach, and they don't have any good young talent. So I'm better than Ottawa. There's that. But the rest of the division, Tampa is still going to be great. Toronto is still going to be great. Been waiting on this Boston team to start to fall apart for like six years now. They're still going strong, so I can't say that they're going to start to dwindle. They're still good. Panthers have a good roster, and now they have a great head coach. Detroit's got the best GM in hockey. I miss anybody? It's the Sabres and the Senators. Like, I need to start to join those teams up top. And I've got some competition now. I already had some competition, actually, but now I've got everyone in the division that's got something going for them, except Ottawa. And to me, that makes getting the coach hire right even even more important because there's no room for error anymore. They could be a good team next year, which has not happened in the past few years, but they could be a good team next year, like an 85-90 point team. They could have a couple 20-goal scores added to the mix along with their guys they got now. Keep Jeff Skinner. Darlene takes a step forward. Get good goaltending from Allmark. All that could happen and get the coach hire right. And they could still miss the playoffs just on the fact that their division now is going to be the toughest division in hockey for the foreseeable future. Best hope, to me, 
is that you nail the coach hire. That gives you a big added bonus over other teams. I'm hoping John Cooper gets hired, fired in Tampa so I could get him out of there, but that doesn't hasn't happened yet, and I haven't read anything that seems like that's going to happen. But can I get the coaching advantage? You've got to nail that hire, and you've got to nail this offseason because otherwise I'm looking at another year of hoping I can take a step forward, hoping I can get into the playoffs, no one expecting you to do so, and then where am I at? Am I questioning whether this GM is sticking around again? And if then that's the question, is he hiring another new coach because he's going to want his own guy? Like I just don't want to get stuck in the cycle with the Sabres where they are just continually going to be beneath the rest of the teams in this division. And I don't want to be sitting here hoping that for the Sabres to be good, that I need the NHL to change its division format. Which could happen. That's being talked about. Playoff formats only got one more year, and then they might change it. But I need more than that to see the Sabres be good. Is that, hey, maybe I'm going to get Tampa out of my division. No, they need to be good on their own. Well, you could say, as far as your argument with Detroit goes... They have a lot of money wrapped up in older players. They just traded Peter yep. Mrazek, so they're committed to Jimmy Howard, who really has been underwhelming for a while now, well, he's, and he's expensive. Yeah, he's got one more year on his contract. He uh, Big salary, which I questionable move. I, I wonder if Iserman would have done that. I don't think he would have. Um, Mrazek was good for them. Mrazek was good. I, I don't he understand. Got, he got bad at the end, though. He had a rough year. I wouldn't have traded him. He was a good young prospect, and he started off good in his career, and he had one really bad year, and they kind of moved on. Um, so I agree with that. Like, that was a questionable move, especially when Howard was 35. Um, yeah, they, g- they gave Howard a one-year extension, so he'll be one more year there next year at $4 million. They, they got Jonathan Bernier behind him at $3 million for two years. So you got $7 million invested in goaltending, and neither one is really that all that good. Well, that's what I mean. I guess what I'm saying is no matter how good Iserman is, like, it's going to take yeah. time in no, Detroit. That's right. And it'd be only because of his hands are going to be tied – so you can still look at that as a positive. I would say the Sabres are going to be better than Detroit next season. I agree. And like like you said, a lot of it comes down to what Bottrell does this offseason. I guess I guess the, the the one thing I want to put to them now though the most. Like I'm not really worried about them next year. I think I agree with that. Cuz like you said, like you make good points. Like they have money tied up in some bad places. Franz Nielsen's 34. They've got three more years at 5.25 million on that. Justin Adelkater's 32, and he is nothing at this point. Like, he's a fourth liner, and he's $4.25 million for four more years at age 32, and he's got a no trade clause. Darren Helm is 32, two more years, 3.85, no trade clause. Um, you've got Nicholas Cronwall. Oh, he's UFA now, but he's 38. Danny DeKaiser, going to be 30 years old, no trade clause. He's not all that good anyway. Three more years at $5 million. Jonathan Erickson's got one more year at 4.25, he's 35. Trevor Daly's thirty-five, $3 million. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So it, do, it doesn't seem like they're going to bottom out necessarily, but it's going to be a while until you could see them. I think they might get there, though, because, I mean, every move Iserman, it seems like everything Iserman touched in Tampa turned to gold. Like, everything. His What was his plan for net? It was Ben Bishop to hold down the fort until Vasilevsky was ready, and he nailed that pick. Vasilevsky is great, and his plan went perfect. Bishop was good and got them to the point where they could, you know, wait on Vasilevsky. That worked. Uh, Stamkos, like he was able to re-sign him. He nailed that Druin for Sergachev trade. Druin's okay. Sergachev might be amazing. Nailed that trade. Um, 
who's who's some of these other players. Andre Palat nailed that sixth round pick, twenty goal score. Alex Kalorn, twenty goal score, seventh round pick. Like everything he touched, there are more of those examples. Yanni Gord is that like late round pick that's just a twenty goal score that just showed up. So, yeah, I agree with your point that Detroit should be a couple years away, even if things work out for them. But they had nothing going for them before today, in my mind. They had Dylan Larkin and Gaudi Svechnikov. And that was like it. And now, now you've got something to hope for if you're in Detroit. Like, not for this year, but two, three years with that guy as your GM, I'd expect them to be good within those few years. You kind of glossed over the income tax thing, but that's a pretty big deal yeah. when it comes to building uh, – I don't want like a super team like he built in Tampa. Basically, did like he might build a good team in Detroit, but he's going to be limited by the cap in a way that he was not before. That's right. Um, I mean, like I said though, the the Sabers are really going to have to do it on their own. Like, get us to a point where we can make excuses about hey, we missed the playoffs because it's unfair that this division is this stacked and that the format is what it is. Like, get me to that point because really they haven't even been good enough. To have this conversation that often. Like, when have we... We, we have not made the playoffs yet in this playoff format. I mean, and they, they, if it's over by next year, there is a scenario where... It's maybe a likely scenario at this point. I mean, they could make the playoffs next year. But it's very possible that if the Sabres miss the playoffs next year, an entire era in the NHL, an entire history of a playoff format will have gone by and you never made it. Like, that's crazy to think about. And to me, like, what do you got to do to get there? That's that's really where I'm at. Ristolainen's name keeps coming up about trading, and I'm not on board with that idea. Um, you've got to re-sign Skinner. You've got to nail the coach hire. If you're going to trade Ristolainen, you have to nail that trade. That either needs to be a second-line center, a solid second-line forward, or, I don't know, it's got to be something valuable. I can't be trading him for picks and prospects. That's my least favorite idea to me for this offseason. I would even take it a step further, and not only do you need to nail that trade in terms of what you get back, but you also need to find a way to fill the void on what's a pretty weak blue line. Obviously, if you trade a player like Ristolainen yeah. away, you're not going to get the same type of player, but you got to find a way to create value in the salary cap. you got to get a guy with a lower cap I, hit that is able to be close, not exactly, but close to what Ristolainen is. That's I, what you got to do. They might have that. I, I'll give them credit. I think they might have that Lawrence Pilot. Like He's going to be cheap, and I mean, you got to play the kid. They didn't play him. But I thought he was good. Like, I thought tape-to-tape passes, he was solid. I thought zone exits, he was solid. I thought carrying the puck, he was good. Not great, but good. Um, his own end, he was a little thing. There was there was something to work on in his own end. No doubt. He had some struggles there. But the rest of it, like, the part of his game that, you know, makes defensemen nowadays valuable was there. And I've got him cheap, and I got him for nothing. I Go do that again. But... Like, that's the only part of trading Ristolainen that, like, I'm kind of on board with. Like, I think you can afford to do it if you get the player back that you need to get because I think Pilot showed enough here and has showed enough in Rochester where I think you can you can kind of count on him to be, like, a solid top four guy even maybe as soon as next season. Like, I, I think I'm on board with that. But you already had him. That doesn't fix the fact that your blue line still yeah, stunk. Like, you need to— Well, they well, didn't play him. That that was the problem. Housley didn't play him. But even if you play him, the, the three defensemen, I guess, that you can count on right now would be Darlene, Montour, and Pilot. There's still three more 
Well, Bogosian's going to be here just because of his contract. I sure, think. but I mean, he's got to be your. Nah, maybe you know what? Maybe not because you might be able to get a team to take Bogosian. Like I'm on board with that. I would rather keep Ristolainen. Scandella, I think everyone wants out of here, but even Bogosian, like he has his fans. People like him. They like the tough nose, the beard, the fact that he goes crazy every time someone touches one of our players. Good. Like I, I can't, there are times where I'm like, I just need Zach Bogosian on the ice because I'm, I'm mad, and this team is taking advantage of us. Like, go throw Bogosian out there. There are times where that happens, even with me. Then the other 80% of the time, I'm yelling at him or yelling at my TV because he's throwing it up the ice, like, right to a player in the other team. And to me, like, if you're able to find a way to trade him, and I never thought that was possible before this offseason because that contract was bad, over $5 million for a guy that is a lot of times a liability playing on a second pair. If I can get him off my books now because there's only one year, like, I should be able to get someone out there to be on board with that because, hey, you've only got him for one year. It's not like you got to hang out of that salary for three, four seasons. We'll even take some salary back if you want. And what are you going to get? You're going to get all these things. The tough nose, uh, minded defenseman. Uh, he's got skill. He's got speed. He's got a good shot. Does he make some questionable decisions at times? Yes. Like, I could sell Bogosian to, I think, half the GMs in this league because half the GMs still think like in the old school way. And to me, like I would rather do that. Even though you're not getting as much value back, I'm not really fixing another hole, I think, by doing that. But I think I'm keeping my blue line intact, and I think that's the best possible scenario for the Sabres' defense next season. So you think that would be better than trading Ristolainen and adding another... If if you could somehow get Bogosian on your third pair, if you could find another player to be that other top four defenseman, and then you keep Bogosian on your third pair, first of all, you're going to need cap space because you're going to need to start paying people. So his expiring contract becomes valuable in and of itself, but also there is something to be said about like those team elements, like popular locker room guy, tough on the ice, willing to stand up for his teammates. Like th- those have oh, been he's elements. A strong locker room presence. Too, but those have th- those have been elements that have been missing from the Sabers really for a long time. I need the value. I need the value. The other stuff ahead of that, though. Like I've had Bogosians here. He is. He's better. But he's kind of just a better version of what Josh George's was for me. He's that same type of player, just better. All around. Like, I can have him on the ice. And I'm not going to get killed most of the time. But sometimes I am going to get killed. And to me, like, I need to be looking at different types of defensemen. I can have one of those guys. In my mind, the perfect blue line, I can have one of those guys. I think Ristolainen is that type. I think Bogosian is that type. I think Scandella is in ways that type. I think Jake McCabe is kind of that type too. I think I've got four or five that type of defensemen right now, and I've got two or three guys that, like, yeah, I can always trust them to move the puck up the ice. I need four or five of my defensemen to be able to do that, not two. Dalene can do it. Montour can do it. Who else was playing in my lineup consistently that you trusted every time was going to make a crisp pass onto Jack Eichel's stick, skating full stride up the ice? Anyone? It wasn't Scandella, wasn't Bogosian, wasn't even Ristolainen. And it, for all the merit that comes with McCabe's game, even he's inconsistent in that. I just we did they didn't play those guys when they were in the lineup. And to me, like the only this all circles back around to the idea of trading Ristolainen versus like what else you do with your blue line. Because you don't want it to be the exact same from what it was last year. I'm only doing it, and I'm only thinking that's a good idea if I'm getting the likes of a Ryan Nugent Hopkins, if I'm 
somehow prying away a Braden point from Tampa Bay using Ristolina as a centerpiece for that. Like, I'm only doing that trade to me if I'm getting that level of player back. If I'm trading him just for the sake of trading him, which is what they just did last season with Ryan O'Reilly, they traded Ryan O'Reilly to get him off the team. And they took the best deal they could, and that was picks and prospects. And it ended up being basically spare parts for last year, and you're praying that that first-round pick is going to be something, and you're praying that Tage Thompson is going to end up being anything. You traded O'Reilly to trade O'Reilly, and how'd that go? Are we going to do that again with Ristolainen? Yeah, he has his faults. Yeah, he frustrates you at times, but he does have value, and he is good. Like, he's not amazing. He's not great. He is not a Norris-winning defenseman like we hoped once upon a time. He's probably not even a top-pair defenseman like we hoped once upon a time. But to trade him just to get him off your team, to me, makes no sense. Seems like you should be... The real question at hand here is which unit is worse, your offense or your defense? defense? Yeah, because that, that's really what it comes down well, to. Because if your forwards are worse, then you need to use a valuable piece from your defense to get some scoring yeah. because they struggled in the back half of the season with scoring but at the same time if you're if your blue line stinks getting rid of one of your better blue line players is not going to make it stink any less so are you trading problem for problem or are you able to it depends where this is where Bottrell like really needs to like this is where he does prove himself either way is can you find something similar if you're going to use him to trade, or, or I guess he hasn't proven it thus far, but can you find bottom six forwards so you can keep Ristolainen? Can you find depth scoring? Can you find... Well, that's the problem. Right. They haven't, they haven't really developed that second-line center that would allow us to not have this conversation. Like, a big part of the Ristolainen trade conversation is going to rage on for probably a lot of this offseason is how else do I get the second-line center that I need? How else do I do it? And you're right, if they had done that, if Middlestad had showed up and be a 60-point player, I'm not putting that on him, because obviously he was not ready to do it, and he shouldn't have been thrust into that position. But if he had come in and the Sabres got lucky and he was just a 60-point player right off the bat, we wouldn't be talking about this. We wouldn't talk about this at all. To your question, I think the forwards are better, but I think that's mostly and just in part because of who's on your top line. Like, the forwards are only better in my mind because you've got Eichel, and this is assuming you would have Skinner, which I guess we can't assume at this point, and Reinhardt. Like, the depth is just not there at all. So, to me, like, yeah, I don't know where else I'm getting that second-line center. Even some of the prospects that you're hopeful for that are down in Rochester, they're not centers. C.J. Smith's a winger. Olofsson's a winger. Nylander's a winger. So I, I don't got that guy coming unless Middlestad does it, and... I don't think I want to go into next season asking him to do that again. So would you rather trade some of those pieces that are down in Rochester for no, a center? I just, I want, no, I just want them on the team. I want them on the team. That's, that's what I want. I want Smith up here next year. Olofsson has to be up here next year. Lawrence Pilot better play all the entire season here next year. Like Those guys I want to see here. And I don't know what I want them to do at center yet. I st- if it's Nugent Hopkins... I think that's what you do. If you can get Nugent Hopkins for Ristolainen, and you do that. Because I think I can make up for it on the defense somewhere else. Free agency, pilot being good right away. Maybe Casey Fitzgerald steps right in. Like I think I could fix that. I think. Whereas forward, if I gotta reach into free agency there and overpay Matt Duchesne or overpay Kevin Hayes, I don't know if I'll hate it, but I think I'd rather do it on the other end, if you know what I mean. 
is the phone number if you want to get on this. We're going to switch to draft talk in a little bit, but we'll stick with hockey for now. Let's go to Joe in Hamburg. Joe, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Hey, what's going on, guys? I uh, came in a little late to the segment, but was wanted to comment real quick on your thoughts about you know moving wrist aligning to move them, similar to what I guess Housley and Botchel did with, with O'Reilly. Right. Do you think maybe the new coach that comes in, is Botchel looking for somebody that might give him I guess, more insight on how the locker room's doing or what he feels, or do you think maybe somebody come in that just... Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know, man. I think if... And sorry, I just cut you off there. It was my bad. I, I, it'd be tough for me to think you're going to hire a coach and ask him, what's wrong with my locker room? I mean, he just gets here. I think Botchel should already have a good idea of that, I think. But again, even if there is a problem in the locker room, I shouldn't value that over what they're giving me on the ice. That's what I think. Because for all the problems O'Reilly may have caused you, may or may or not have caused you off the ice last year, on the ice, you missed him badly. Second line center and that opposite side of Jack Eichel on the power play. They didn't fill that spot until Olsen showed up here with four games to go in the season. The whole year, you were looking for a guy to play that spot in your power play. And you couldn't find him because you traded him to St. Louis and you didn't have a replacement. Let's go to Mike in Oakville. Mike, you're on the nightcap. What's up? Joel, thanks for taking my call, man. Sure. So I wanted to ask you, is it possible that the Sabres could uh, have up to eight to nine guys not on the, on the current roster not on the team next year? So I'm saying up front, Michael, uh, Lionheart, um, Middlestat, Rodriguez, but you change the bottom six and then maybe get rid of two defensemen. <clears throat> yeah, the entire bottom six. I mean, that's a lot. I would say Oposo is going to be here, so just he'll be in my bottom six. So that's at least one spot. But the rest, I don't, I don't disagree. Like I think the rest of your bottom six could be different. No, I meant I meant bottom six forwards, and then you keep like yeah. three defensemen. So Risto, um, what's the guy? The guy Montour and Montour. Uh, Dalin, of course, and then maybe Bogosian or one of. One or the other, and then you swap the other two out and off you. I think, Mike, to get to your eight or nine different players, which I don't think is unrealistic. I think it's a lot, but I don't think it's unrealistic. Like, to get to that number, look who's leaving. Pominville's gone in that scenario. He's a UFA. Sabotka, do not have that guy on my roster next year. Please, opening night, please do not make us go through another season. First line. Vladimir Sabotka, like, please do not do that to us. Three and a half million. I don't care what you do with him. Send him to 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 Kazakhstan playing. I, I don't know. Loan him anywhere. There's two. Sherry is going to be here, probably. Giergensen's. There's three. Larson four. Scott Wilson five. I guess. Bogosian six. Scandella seven. I think I'm only getting to seven. I think you could find an eighth if I really tried. Like, you could trade McCabe. You could probably get something valuable for him. Not super, super valuable. I don't think you're filling your second-line center spot by trading him. But you could get something. Um, eight eight or nine seems a little lofty to me. But you, I think you're going to see player changes this year. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me if you even had seven or eight that were different next year. The other thing, too, is goalie should be the same. So that's, like, that's the spot you can't really, I think... Toss up. They could go sign Bobrovsky. You never know. I've made an argument. It's a bad one, but they could do it. It's reckless. It's dumb, but it would probably put them in the playoff hunt immediately if they did sign Sergey Bobrovsky. I'm going to keep mentioning it. You someone's sign him. Gotta, someone's got to like the idea. 
trade Allmark. What do you get for Allmark? Probably not a ton. I think. But see, now like all these moves like they interweave with each other because if you tr- if you sign Bobrovsky and then you trade Allmark and Ristolainen, <laughs> okay, then you could use what you get from Allmark to help fill the void that you got rid right. of with Ristolainen, who you filled your second line center slot with. Like it, there's just so many it's like a lot of these moves have domino effect potential. I think now I'm just lost in the web I just spun pretty much. That means it was yeah. a good segment. That means it was a great segment. And that means we're going to take a break. And then we're going to get to Mel Kuyper coming up next. He was on One Bills Live earlier today. Steve and Luke Tasker were hosting. So we'll play Mel Kuyper with those guys. Coming up next on the Nightcap, Jody Biasi, Nick Lozanowski here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Time to play our interview of the day. Mel Kuyper Jr. Anyone more recognized in the NFL draft business than Mel Kuyper Jr.? He joined Steve and Luke Tasker today on One Bills Live talking draft as we are six days away from round one. One week away from round two, the Bills will select ninth, barring any trade ups or trade downs. Here's Mel Kuyper on One Bills Live earlier today. Mel, Steve Tasker and my son Luke Tasker of the CFL here at one in Buffalo. Thanks for joining us. Thank, uh, how are you today? Steve, Luke, great to be with you guys. Steve, had some great years watching you guys up in Buffalo. It was phenomenal. It's great to see Josh, the Josh Allen-led Bills have a lot of energy going into this season. Yeah, it is, and uh, thank you. And, I, and I, you're right. It, uh, it's the runs are always good. The 35-year run you've had with ESPN, my little run here in Buffalo, it, they're fun while they last. Are they not? No doubt about that. Hey, you came out with a three-round draft, uh, and you had the perfect pick for all the teams in Buff, and you had Buffalo taking uh, the big tight end out of Iowa. You're not alone in that. A lot of people see the Bills as needing a tight end. Uh, what leads you to that conclusion that T.J. Hawkinson is going to be the Bills guy at number nine? Well, uh, you know, Todd and I kind of go back and forth. Todd was thinking Hawkinson, and we looked at Hawkinson as a guy. I think you look at Ed Oliver if you want to go defensive line if he's there. You look at Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman from uh, Alabama, if you want a left tackle, right tackle guard. So I think Jonah would have to be in the discussion. He's a heck of a football player, and obviously you want to go into this draft with the emphasis being on helping Josh Allen. Obviously, don't forget about the defense uh, because the defense will have to step up even more now that the offense will improve. You know, a lot of the teams went into last year thinking, okay, we don't have to we don't have to score a lot. We just don't want to turn it over. We can be conservative and this offense, you know, the line's terrible. They don't have skill guys, got a rookie quarterback. But as the year went along, you saw Josh Allen and that offensive line got a little better and Josh became a really good quarterback, I thought, for a rookie. If you put him with a curve for a rookie, five and five they were in the games he started and finished. I I think had he not got cheap shotted out of the, the Houston Texans game, they might have won that game with him. But uh, I think the fact of the matter is the offense of line with Jonah tight end like Hawkinson. Uh, there's no wide receiver to consider at that point. They may in the second round be able to get somebody like Debo Samuel, South Carolina, and Nikhil Harry uh, from Arizona State, you know, with one of those Ohio State kids, either Campbell or McLaren. So there's going to be, a, I think, a lot of options, guys, in the second round for the Buffalo Bills at wide receiver. Yeah, and that's the interesting thing. And, and Mel, I want to ask you this. So you got this TJ Hawkinson, and certainly there are more elite players in this draft. What how many guys, like the top two or three or four or five or whatever you n- number you pick, how many of those guys, if any of those elite guys like Quinn and Williams uh, or, uh, or, you know, Nick Bosa even, if any, how many guys are like that? If they trickled down to number nine, you, take, you would take them instead of 
TJ Hawkinson if you're the Buffalo Bills? I mean, there's some elite guys at the top of this draft. How many elite guys are there that if one of them falls to number nine, that they would supersede any need that the Buffalo Bills had? Yeah, I think Bosa, uh, Quinnen Williams, Josh Allen, and Devin White would be the four best uh, players in this draft. And if for whatever reason, uh, one of those four drop, yeah, then that's happened before. I mean, right. what you brought up is a great point because you go in thinking you have it all mapped out and then somebody will fall because this is a time of year where I always say just you're going to hear so many things this week about injury, about something medical, something off the field, something this, something that. There are always teams trying to – everybody's trying to throw out some misinformation or sometimes it is true. You saw what happened with Josh last year with the, tw- the tweets or the morning of the draft. Um, all these things this time of year, and then it's, it's and you're only it takes one team to take a player, uh, and then like a guy, so somebody could jump up higher in the draft, and you expect because you try to build a consensus, but you can't talk to 32 teams or anywhere close to that, as you guys know. Yeah. So you get a consensus from your four, five, six teams you talk to, and that's it. So I, I think you're right. But if one of those four dropped to, to where the Bills are, I think they would. I think Brandon Bean would have to reassess things a bit. Yeah. Uh, Mel, we have some questions about a Western New Yorker who's coming out of the draft this year, Jake Dolagala from Central Connecticut. Where does he fall on in your analysis? Is he a guy who could slip into the late rounds? Um, what do you take of his college Free career? Likely for you know in a seven round eight you know you talk about an eight round draft with right, right. with uh, you know the compensatory picks more than likely with the depth of these positions you're looking at a kid like that as a free agent mm-hmm. I don't have enough on him to say for sure but I would say you, you look at and I, I'm looking down at the board now and I have some really good I'm, for me really good players I have undrafted grades on in terms undrafted possibility on with a draftable grade so I'd say if it was a 12 round draft it opens up more opportunities as Steve knows I remember it was a 17 round draft. It's just, Right. <laughs> difficult to project him, and I, like I said, I'm, I can't say I speak. I, you know, with great, uh, you know, uh, you know, the evaluation on him as far as where he's going to go. But I would say probably undrafted. Yeah, yeah. and you get these guys. And, and, the quarterbacks are always a kind of the wild card, Mel, yep. because they tend to go a little bit higher than most teams, or than they're graded. Um, what about this class? You know, the big story is that Kyler Murray is going to go uh, to Arizona. If that happens, where where does Dwayne Haskins fall? Where does uh, you know uh, uh, the guy from Missouri fall? Where does a Duke quarterback fall? You know, how do they? And plus, that you know this, and you can, they're going to go a little higher than you might think. Yeah, we were trying to work that out today, trying to figure out where some of these guys are the quarterbacks. So I think Haskins goes to Washington. Uh, I think the Redskins find a way to get him. Uh, if the Giants pass him with six, and all the intel tells you that the Giants may not take him, if that's the case, uh, so the Redskins could definitely be in play, either at 15 if he falls there or trading up from 15. You keep hearing, and I don't know if it's true or not, that the Giants like Daniel Jones from Duke. Um, I even heard Dave Gettleman yesterday talk about, hey, you know, you got to have a quarterback in New, in New York. He's got to be able to deal with a lot of things beyond just being a quarterback with the New York Giants. So maybe he feels like the you know guy that's played a little more. He's a Duke kid. He's David Cutcliffe factor. Remember, David had the Eli and Peyton Manning. So you get that kind of mentality to deal more like Eli did, you know, with David Cutcliffe and, and Peyton, obviously, in the expect that maybe Daniel Jones is that guy. Uh, I think when you look at Drew Locke, I don't know. I think the 10 10 to 15, I would say, if you look at those teams, Denver, if they want to get a guy who could be the heir apparent or challenge Joe Flacco, Cincinnati, same thing there, Miami. So that would be the three possibilities for, for him. And obviously we have Kyler Murray going number one to the Arizona Cardinals. The uh, Mel, I want to take you back really quick, deep into your archives. So ni- 1984 is your first year where you're, where you're yes. beginning mm-hmm. your announced business. Well, I wonder... 
1985 draft, there was a small little receiver from Northwestern University. <laughs> I think he got taken in the 27th round. Is that the 27th round. Shut what, up. Uh, what would your analysis have said of the young Steve Tasker who got drafted by the Houston Oilers? I'd say this, you want him on your team. Oh, and I yeah. think that's a, there, there you go. Of, see? Yeah, well, hindsight, hindsight, that's, hindsight, that's that, easy. Exactly. I think there are some. <laughs> and, I'm, I always, and see, it's funny with you because you always look at players moving for as guys that are Steve Tasker types. Right. It's a good thing when you're viewed that way, like Danny Amendola types, Wes Welker exactly. types. Uh, you, know, you look at that, and it's always good when you're being viewed you know, down the road after your career's over, somebody there comp- trying to find the next guy like you because you have those intangibles, and you obviously made it work. You did a great job, and you competed there, and you did a lot of great things for a team that won. So, uh, to me, that's that speaks volumes. Like if you can say at the end of your career that you're going to use that player uh, from years gone by as somebody that you're you're trying to compare players now to, it's pretty good. Well, I appreciate it, and you're right. I was very lucky, believe me. We're talking with Mel Kuyper, Jr., ESPN NFL draft analyst. Mel, i got to ask you, too. You're, talking, you're trying to figure out where these quarterbacks go, and there's one team that I've watched pretty closely – uh, they've got a, a Hall of Fame quarterback as their president and John Elway in Denver. Now, he went out and he got Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is, is in his 30s. They got him. They know that he can do that. What are the chances that the Denver Broncos sitting there, um, well, not too deep in the draft, they're at number 10, that they pick their quarterback maybe of the future, try and get another one? Because John Elway, if the one thing, he's taken a lot of heat for – not getting the quarterback thing right, except for the Peyton Manning thing, which he got exactly right. But he is not afraid to pull the trigger on quarterbacks because he feels it's so important. You've got to get that guy, and by hook or crook, does he take a young one and let him develop uh, even at number 10 this year, even with Joe Flacco in the fold? That's a tough call. That's the million-dollar question. We've been trying to figure that out and trying to get into John Elway's mind about that. It, you know, this is John Elway who drafted Brock Osweiler, right. drafted Paxton Lynch, you know, then didn't draft Josh Allen because of probably those, and ends up you know drafting, you know, making a move to get Case Keenum instead of Josh Allen, thinking we'll go the more of a proven entity. And you know, and then you think about you know where they are right now. Um, I think when you look at, at where this football team is, uh, you know, I think they could. And I think Joe Flacco is a good quarterback. There's no question. I know Joe. He's been here in Baltimore with me. Won a Super Bowl. Right. And it wasn't wasn't just because of the defense or this or that. It was because of Joe, of Joe Flacco winning. Those tough games on the road and, and doing everything he needed to do in that great playoff run that he had. He had, he had other great seasons as well, really good seasons. So Joe's had an issue with durability, obviously with the back, and then last year with the injury. But uh, yeah, I think for John Elway, yeah, uh, here he likes Drew Locke. Because, you know, obviously John had the big arm. Drew Locke has the big arm. Uh, Drew Locke is a veteran. He played a lot of games at Missouri. Um, he turned a corner in terms of beating teams, top 25 teams, when he went down to Florida and, and beat the Gators in a dominant way. He had a phenomenal game. I think that game made him a lot of money after a, a struggling performance the prior week against Kentucky. So I think Drew Locke would be in the discussion heavily. It just depends. Do you want to keep – like Joe Flacco said, I'd like to get some help. You know, remember, he was here last year when they drafted Lamar Jackson. So they went that same route in Baltimore, and Lamar Jackson – Jackson stole the show late, and now Joe Flacco is moving on, and now just do they draft Drew Locke? They could. I mean, it's, it's Drew Locke or maybe a Devin Bush, the linebacker Michigan, maybe a defensive lineman. It, it, it really gets down to John Elway. Does he want to look at the heir apparent to Flacco or try to help Flacco? Now, if T.J. Hawkinson were there, that would make sense for Denver as well. Joe Flacco loves to throw. 
to the tight end. You go back to the Dennis Pitta days. Remember Baltimore last year in the draft drafted two tight ends early. Right. First round third and got a lot of production out of Mark Andrews. Hayden Hurst was injured but most of the year. But the bottom line is that's where his eyes take him. And I think having a uh, receiving tight end is important. So maybe if Hawkinson's there, they go that route over the quarterback. But I got to believe everything you hear that Drew Locke would certainly be in the discussion at number 10. Yeah, there's another quarterback that you seem to like a lot. It's the quarterback Daniel Jones. Tell us a little bit about uh, this prospect. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, he's an intriguing guy. I mean, Todd McShay always makes out that I think he's the next, you know, John Elway, Peyton Manning. I, I don't feel that way. I, I like him more than Todd does, and I think he can be a, a good starting quarterback, and I think there's a lot to like about him. Now, is he perfect? Is he the number one pick in the draft or a top ten pick? No, and not. I think he's more in the mid to late first. I have him right now 23 on the big board, but yeah, when you get a kid with his size, his athleticism, he was a basketball kid in high school as well, a uh, very athletic family he comes from, Smart kid, competitive kid. Uh, I love the way he, even against Clemson, when they were beating them at the line of scrimmage with those great defensive linemen, he hung in there. He dominated Temple. He lit up Temple in the bowl game. He was in. Now, he had a struggling week at the Senior Bowl. where, And that's not his forte. You throw quarterbacks in with new entities, and it's just not. Sometimes they don't thrive in that environment. He didn't, but on the game day, he was the MVP. So I think, you know, I think the thing I don't like, he kind of dips that head in the pocket when he gets pressured. Uh, you know, to me, yeah, that's something you can't do, and he'll improve hopefully in that area. I like his accuracy when he's pressured. I like his compact release. Um, there, he ran for 186 yards in a game against North Carolina this year. Uh, there's a lot to like about Daniel. Is he perfect? And the David Cutcliffe factor will help him. Six quarterbacks under Cutcliffe went into the NFL. Two big names, obviously, Peyton and Eli Manning. But, yeah, is he, like I say, he's not a guaranteed big-time starting quarterback, but he has enough going for him that I think a team like the Giants or somebody else will take him in round one and hope that he is a very good starting quarterback. There is Mel Kuyper. If you want to check out the rest of that, it's on demand at WGR550.com and the radio.com app. We'll take a timeout now, wrap things up, give you a quick score update in the NBA playoffs and the NHL playoffs as well. Bruins and Leafs are in the second intermission, so we'll give you that score update, and then we'll get out of here. ESPN Radio coming up next. It's the Nightcap, Jody Biasi, last call coming up on WGR. Last call on the nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. A couple of quick score updates for you before we get you to ESPN Radio. Starting the NBA. Raptors up 76-63 on the Magic. Just about to get underway in the fourth quarter there. In the first quarter, Celtics up 29-21 on the Pacers. And then in the NHL, Bruins and Leafs are scoreless. 0-0 in the second intermission. That series is knotted at two apiece. NHL playoff scoring update brought to you by Fiegel and Carr, your border attorneys. Thanks, everybody, for listening to tonight's show. You can check it out in full on WGR550.com and the radio.com app. ESPN Radio, up next here on WGR. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. See T-Mobile.com. 